This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. I hated that Cowboys performance, and I might hate the Dallas Cowboys. Um, reason being is I was high on them, famously, coming into the season. Thought their roster was ready. Believed in Dak Prescott. And tolerated, let's say tolerated, Mike McCarthy. I saw the 49ers make them quit on Sunday night. From the time of the arm punt in the second half uh, for Dak Prescott, where he basically just threw it up, uh, they didn't want to be there. That's the most worrying part of what I saw in the Niners-Cowboys game, but it was not the only worrying part. Um, There's a massive talent and coaching gap, and then there's a toughness gap between these two teams. And by the way, I'm not even sure... Like, there's a whole different conversation with the Niners about whether or not they're the best team in football. Chiefs are always going to be in that mix. The Eagles will be in that mix. That's separate. What I do know is the Cowboys are out of it. The Cowboys are out of that discussion, and they're in a tier that might not even be on the second level right now. But talent gap, coaching gap, toughness gap. The toughness gap was the most worrying because I don't know how you solve that in three months. The talent gap, well, I mean, let me back up here. The talent gap you fix through the draft and free agency. That's over. But there's injuries, there's players who get better, whatever. That's that's a separate thing. The coaching gap, there's some adjustments you can make. Dan Quinn is, is a fine DC. Mike McCarthy is not playing the same sport as Kyle Shanahan. But then the toughness gap, to me, just shows that the DNAs of these organizations are different and that's that's why i'm removing the dallas cowboys from i mean any serious football discussion let alone like making the super bowl um the niners were able to get chunk plays on demand there was that one play where Ayuk gets it there's a holding penalty they go back to debo and they get almost as many yards it reminded me kind of a different deal but it reminded me of the 07 patriots played a game against the Giants in the regular season. And if you don't remember this, this was like a cultural event because they were going for their 16th win. And uh, it was supposed to be on NFL Network only and like Congress or something like demanded the game be on network TV and they split it between two networks. It was wild. Ask your parents. Um, But Brady threw a bomb to Moss. Moss dropped it. And he was wide open by like seven yards. I actually watched it earlier tonight. And then instead of saying, all right, oh, well, we'll just run the ball now. They ran the exact same play. Moss got open again in the exact same part of the field by the exact same amount of, of cushion. And they scored a touchdown. Hit him, on the, hit him on the run. And there's a lot of hyperbole. Not hyperbole. There's a lot of lofty comparisons right now. Uh, between offenses in the NFL. I'm not going to compare anybody to the 07 Patriots or the greatest show on turf or whatever, even though the Dolphins are putting up some of those numbers, whatever. But what I am saying is that like what the Niners are able to do is impose their will on basically any team whenever they want, which is the pinnacle of football. I've said many times, I, I wrote it down even though he's not a very good boxer anymore, Anthony Joshua once said that the key to mastery is making a professional look like an amateur. 
And that is what Kyle Shanahan did to Mike McCarthy today. That's what John Lynch is doing to Jerry Jones. That's what the Niners offensive line did to the Cowboys front seven. The ease in which the Niners were able to take away what the Cowboys do well with almost no extra effort was astounding. They swallowed up Micah Parsons. They didn't have to try. They just took him out of the game. Um, this is a sport of sort of mile markers, right? And October should not be the kind of uh, month where you have statement games where you say, okay, I'm declaring this because there's injuries and there's there's all sorts of, you know, different schematic adjustments. And, okay, what's your next pitch if they take this away? Oh, you're good at the deep ball. We'll put two safeties back. What happens next? Like, this is a game of problem solving. I don't remember a game in October ever or September or even early November where a statement was made to me and a game changed my mind so thoroughly about a team I thought was good. And they, they might make the playoffs, but everybody knows that this is not serious. I'm not, this is the first time you're ever listening to me talk. I'm not a hot take artist. I'm not anything. I'm just telling you that this Cowboys team is not ready to play serious football. Um, you learn, and it's the most destabilizing, disorienting thing in the world, that a team learns they're not the team that they thought they were. And how you respond to that determines your season. The Cowboys are not the team that's going to even compete for the Super Bowl, but they're going to have to eke out 10 or 11 wins to get to the playoffs. It's Mike McCarthy, the guy to do that. I don't know. I mean, remember, I put all my faith in him in August. I thought, this is great. Mike McCarthy, he'll figure it out. If Dak Prescott's a problem, it's a pretty good problem to have. Blah, 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 blah. I'm an idiot. I am a stupid person. But I can sort of identify situations and see what happens here. I don't want to go through the rosters and, and how this, this blowout happened, but like Kyle Shanahan just literally just wasted a bunch of first-round picks on Trey Lance and somehow has significantly more talent uh, on his roster than the Cowboys do. The amount of absolute blue chippers, like top-of-the-league type of guys on the Cowboys is not dissimilar to the 49ers. And that's an important distinction to make. That's one of the reasons I thought they'd be so good. But there's this whole level of B-plus guy on the Niners that seems to be completely missing right now through coaching, through scheme, through player development, whatever it is, seems to be missing in Dallas. And you, know, you talk about the A-level guys, like those guys seem ready to play tonight. George Kittle. I mean, Fred Warner. Fred Warner should be more famous. And I know that we we all sit around. I've been talking about Fred Warner since he was in the draft. But, like, the the game he plays, we stop talking about any linebacker that doesn't rush the passer, just sort of how the game developed. Like, and obviously Fred Warner does. I'm just saying, like, we, we only talk about outside outside blitzing linebackers who, who could have their hand in the dirt in another, in another era, right, or another scheme. Um, That's who we talk about when we talk about linebackers. Fred Warner plays a game that should appeal to everybody on the planet. Everybody should be watching this. Um, but 
those guys know how to play their best in these types of games. And the Cowboys don't seem to have it. Now, part of this, it's not motivation. We're not sitting around and saying, oh, they just wanted more. We're not, no, 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 that's that's not not really real. What it is is the Niners, as part of that coaching gap and as part of that toughness gap, are able to put their guys in position to succeed. The Cowboys are not able to do that. When Micah Parsons disappeared, he disappeared for 60 minutes. It was over. There wasn't a second pitch there. Um, you talk about toughness, like I didn't see anything, especially in the second half. Once they knew it probably wasn't going to be their night, the Cowboys said, you guys have been great. I'll see you later. Did a little George Costanza. Didn't go out on top though. Um, so the Cowboys are not the team we thought they were. I hate making declarations like this, but I also hate ignoring something that's hitting you over the head. That's so urgent that you have to say it. So um, that's the state of play with the Niners. And they're in an upper echelon that the Cowboys could only dream of. And frankly, they need another draft and they need another offseason to fix this because this is not the kind of thing, all three of those things, coaching toughness and talent. Because somebody said, oh, well, you got to fire McCarthy. Somebody mentions, you got to fire McCarthy, bring in, Dan Quinn is interim coach. What's he going to do? What is he going to do? Because he's not going to have offensive schemes. And by the way, everyone's like, ooh, Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore was there for a long time and did not do special work. And he could not put that team on a plane with Kyle Shanahan. So it's not Mike McCarthy. It's not Brian Schottenheimer. It's just some third option who can call offensive plays and unlock this thing. Um, The one thing I won't say is the Cowboys are bad. I won't say they're broken. You're probably going to hear some over-the-top takes on Monday about where this season is headed. And I think they're still pretty good. But that's not what this segment's about. What this segment is about is that there is a chasm between two franchises that cannot be narrowed anytime soon. Barring serious injury. That's literally it. Nothing else can do this. And like Bob Sturm and I, we were talking about on this on the Friday show, you know, default to the home team, pick the home team, good. But that this this game could have been played on Jupiter. And those three differences, which by the way, encompasses all of football, talent, toughness, and coaching. Um, those three differences are not going away. This was a soft performance from the Cowboys. And when you give soft performances, it means you're a soft team. I hated this game from the Dallas Cowboys. And barring some report that everybody had the damn flu, I'm not even sure I'd accept that at this point. But if I mean that's I, the flu might be a 15 point, 15 point discount for me, not 30. This was awful. Um, I, as someone who. And I, I said this a couple weeks ago. As someone who, when you pick the Cowboys to make the Super Bowl or win big or say, hey, they got something this year, even though the Cowboys are a stimulus check to the media industry, and that's not why I was doing it, like you're on an island because people really throw it back in your face. And that's part of it. I, like, I enjoy that. I think it's funny, but all that stuff. But 
I I was in the fire with these guys. I'm in. I, I was I was in, and I was saying, okay, I'm buying in Dallas Cowboys. Don't make me look stupid. And that was my first mistake. I said to the Dallas Cowboys, I said to Mike McCarthy, don't make me look stupid. They just can't help it. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 up only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, uh, I got a bunch to get to, but we got the questions and I'm going to weave in a bunch of the notes I have into the questions because we've got some great ones in the mailbag. Uh, remember, just either find me on Twitter on Sundays or email. The email is thisisfootballpod at gmail.com. Flynn, first question. First, we're going to hear from Micah. He says, at the beginning of the season, the general consensus was that the AFC was way ahead of the NFC in terms of contending teams. Has that flipped or are there basically no great teams? There are no great teams. Um, Well, okay. Niners, Eagles obviously have started out really hot. Um, The Dolphins are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. And the Bills are – let's get to the Bills, okay? Oh, actually, let me answer the question first. It hasn't flipped. It's just revealed itself to be slightly inaccurate about the AFC because the AFC was supposed to be really deep because of the quarterbacks. All of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt 40 seconds into the season. All of a sudden, the Chargers are – Revealed to be average. Joe Burrow has a calf injury that, even if it heals, will probably keep him from being elite this year. The Jaguars are pretty good, not great. The Chiefs have played one weird game and a couple other kind of offensively mysterious 
types of games. They're still the AFC's best team, by the way. Um, and the Patriots are barely NFL level at this point. Um, and so, and even like the floor on some of these teams, like I thought the Broncos, I didn't think the Broncos were going to be good, but I did think that the Sean Payton was going to improve them. They're the same damn team as they were last year. The same damn team. Um, so it's more about injuries to quarterbacks. It's a couple of things that had to break right for the AFC to be that deep, not being the case. And then, and then, and then all of a sudden you go from a, seven to eight to nine team deep conference to two or three that happens. I'd say the NFC East again, it hasn't flipped. It hasn't flipped, but, but what it has, the NFC is top heavy right now. It's really just the Eagles and the Niners over and over again. I would put the lions on that second tier. And then I'd put, I don't want to do tiers right now, but then I'd put the Cowboys on a tier below the lions. Um, I'd like to see that game right now, but I don't think the, I think the Lions are a much tougher group and would not get the crap kicked out of them and get bullied by that Niners team. Um, so I, I don't think it's flipped. I just think the Niners and the Eagles are far and away the best team in the a- NFC right now. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's 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 the, the amount of true contenders has probably been cut by three-fourths in just the first month of the season. And so uh, one thing I want to go back to is the the Bills because I think they're an interesting case. They're 3-2. and two, They lost on Sunday. And I'm not one to panic, especially after, what was it, seven days ago, we were saying that they reestablished their dominance in the AFC East and you know, the Dolphins are looking up at them and all of this stuff. And, oh, we, you know... We, we know who's been we're, we're kind of we're still here type stuff from the bills right well Tredavious White goes down obviously in the last game Daquan Jones and Matt Milano crucially go down on Sunday and the Milano thing is huge for a couple of reasons number one he's one of the best linebackers in football um but he also played an incredible game and it wasn't a coincidence against the Dolphins because everyone talks about the stress that the Dolphins put on safeties, but like Milano at the linebacker position was owning them in the run game. He had five stops via PFF, which is basically just stopping a play as soon as it starts. Um, he was a freak against that team and he knew what to do. He had these great instincts, great athlete, all of that stuff. And this is an old expensive roster, 32nd in the NFL and rookie money third in cash spending on the three highest tiers of uh, priced free agents or sorry, uh, priced players on over the cap. I don't know how to explain that in any simple terms. Basically they spend their money on expensive guys. Um, and they're third most at that in the NFL. Uh, they only have one elite player cap wise. And that's, that's Josh Allen. But if you look at the amount of mid tier to high tier veterans that they have under, Pricey contracts, they're third in the league. Um, and so I think that that lowers the ceiling to a significant degree. If you've got three to four pieces, Teron Johnson seems to be okay, but if you've got three pieces already out on a long season when you're already going to have more injuries, lowers your ceiling, and, and I'm not going to – they just kicked the Dolphins' ass. 
but you start to lower your ceiling. You start to say, okay, this team might not be able to be in the elite, not because they're bad, not because they're, they're, you know, their window is closed or whatever crazy narrative it was. It's just that they don't have, they don't have the players and they don't have the depth. And one of the things with the Dolphins, but on the offensive side, not the defensive side, by the way, Jalen Ramsey is still to come back for the Dolphins. Nobody mentions that. But one of the things about the Dolphins is like they've got like the five fastest guys in football, so they can have two injuries to those guys and be fine. Like we saw what happened when they had J- when they went out of Jalen Waddle. So like I, that to me, when you're an old, expensive team like the Bills, a talented team, obviously, but you just got lower margin for error and, and lower margin for disaster. And that's that's what concerns me right now about the Bills. Um but yeah, that's uh I, I think that's the that's the tier of, of elite team right now. Next up we're gonna hear from Tommy Goodwin. He says last second loss aside, is it too late to send all of those what are the Texans doing in the draft takes back for a refund? Yes, by the way, good win by the Falcons today. Good, good win. Um, the Texans are building something. I knew what they – I so I thought I, – I knew what the Texans were doing. They were just accelerating the timeline of, of what they I, – I thought maybe Casario was trying to save his job or whatever. But I knew what they were doing. I just thought it was a stupid idea um, because I thought that they could roll it over for a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, which, by the way, they could have. They could have easily gone two and fifteen this year, but they wanted to start the process of going forward and saying these are our guys, um, and having Will Anderson to anchor your defense and C.J. Stroud on your offense. I don't hate it. They're competitive. D'Amico Ryan's is a really good coach. And by the way, if you wanted to hire D'Amico Ryan's, and Ryan said to you, "I don't want to roll it over a year. I want to start winning now." That's all you need to hear. Um, I haven't seen any reporting to that effect, but if he's saying like, I'm not going to, D'Amico Ryans was an awesome DC with the Niners. There was a, when I was in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago, I was doing a piece on, uh, on how a lot about Burrow. And, and one of the things the coaches in Cincinnati told me was like, teams change their identity when they play Burrow. Um, and I mean, this year, not as much, but in the past, and they were saying that like, D'Amico Ryan's basically installed a Tampa 2 scheme no one had ever seen on tape from, from him before. And he just, like, on, like, five days notice, like, all right, this is what we're doing. Like, you know about a flexible, adaptable mind? Like, that's D'Amico Ryan's. And so I, I love it. I love the culture. I love the team. I love finally winning. People of Houston deserve something better than what they've had. I'm in. Uh, let's 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 keep watching Houston. Finally, from Bubba, the Kelsey injury has me wondering who is the most irreplaceable non-quarterback in the league. Not necessarily the best, but who is the most important to their team? So, I love this question because you can spend an hour discussing it. I might get somebody on. I might get somebody on this week to do this. We're going to go through this. But uh, but, but I'm going to go through it right now and then have somebody else. We'll go through it midweek. Maybe an ex-player. We'll get an ex-player on there. We got a couple coming this week. We got a couple. Um, and a current player. Anyway, um, 
because you say, all right, well, Kelsey's up there, by the way. Like, and there were people, it's funny because I had put the call for questions up earlier in the day today. And there were people saying, are the Chiefs screwed if Kelsey's out? And he's he's not out. But it was a great question because the wide receiver depth isn't there. Mahomes can can do whatever. He'll, he'll, he'd still be great. But, like, Kelsey is such a reliable option. And when all else fails, they just have Kelsey and Mahomes figure it out. Like, it, it's it's just like, whatever. Let's just do this. It's fine. We'll just we'll win. We'll put up 21 points. Our defense can figure it out. Like, we'll just win the game. Like, option routes. Easiest stuff in the world. Um, so, Kelsey's up there. What's the Jenga piece, right? As uh, as some of our friends at the NFL Network have said. Um, is it like, what would the Eagles look like without Jason Kelsey? The tush push? Does the tush push immediately go away? They were running the tush push and short yardage at the goal line today in Los Angeles with Philly. And it was unstoppable. And it removes all drama from short yardage situations. Now, who's responsible for that? Is it Jason Kelsey? Is it, you know, any of those linemen? Um, is it is it Jalen Hurts himself, who obviously wouldn't be the answer to the question? But, like, it's interesting to me because you go through it. Who, like, what what singular thing needs to happen for a team to be unstoppable? And who's most important to that? So, you know, going through right now with the 49ers, like Trent Williams makes like Christian McCaffrey's great on that team, but like Trent Williams just swallows dude, dude's whole. Like he takes people, his side of the, of the line is spoken for every single time. I don't know there's a downfield guy, skill guy uh, on this list because there's just a bunch of them. Like Kittle is, Awesome. Debo's awesome. Ayuk is awesome. Like that there's that. So um say like Fred Warner would be in that mix on the defensive side of the ball, just all the things he does. Um, all the things he disrupts in the passing game. Um I don't think there's any other really good teams in the NFC to go through here. Um with the Dolphins. I mean, again, it's it's almost like I guess Hill unlocks some things, but like it's all my, it's a combination of 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 everybody. Tua, Mike McDaniel, the whole deal. Um, man, with the Bills, I mean, Diggs on some Sundays has 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 a chance. And by the way, I'm not. This is separate, but like with the Bengals, I mean, Jamar Chase was just doing everything today like he was that was it they were just doing they were just giving it to chase oh they were spamming a throw to chase over and over and over again so yeah he's he he'd definitely be in the mix there it's such a great question i'm gonna defer i'm i'm gonna not answer right now i went through the candidates right now i'm gonna answer midweek it's a great discussion we'll have one of our friends on midweek and, and talk about it most valuable non-quarterback in the nfl but that's man it, it's it's so interesting because I don't think there's a perfect quarterback this year. And so, like, there's no Lamar from 2019. There's no Mahomes from 2018. All of those guys have shown warts over the first couple of weeks of the season. And so it gets into the non-quarterbacks. And you start, I, I think a quarterback went up winning MVP, especially because, like, McCaffrey didn't go off for 250 or something today. 
Um, if he had that, it's a different discussion. But I just love the idea. Like, there should be a most valuable non-quarterback. And I'm not even talking about offensive player of the year because maybe a defensive player should get it too. Um, it would be like a heightened version of DPOI um, where the team has to be relevant and all that stuff. Normally he is. Normally he is on a relevant team that, that won a bunch of games. But I'd love best, most valuable non non-quarterback. I don't even know what you'd call it. Lawrence Taylor Award, something like that. Uh, we'll, we'll go in the lab on that, but it's a great question. Um, all right. Flynn, should we take us around the league? Let's go. Let's start with the Lions. You praised their resurrection earlier this week. They beat the Panthers 42-24. Yeah, this is just everything we knew about the Lions. They're a tough team. Um, I'm growing increasingly concerned with Bryce Young. And what worries me is that perception is reality with these picks. Carolina is a fine market. I don't, I don't think that, you know, it's going to be a pressure cooker or anything, but Stroud's doing well. The damn Panthers are going to maybe have the first overall pick, which would go to the bears. And if Bryce young is playing like he is now all season, Panthers fans are going to freak. If the damn bears get the first and second pick in the draft, that's going to be awful. It's going to be abysmal for Carolina. Um, when it doesn't look like he, that Bryce has shown that he's guaranteed to be a franchise type guy, this would be miserable. And so I'm watching that. I'm worried. Carolina deserves something. Bryce Young deserves something. Um, I don't know. Like Frank Reich's been kind of mediocre this year, but like man, it start Carolina's starting to worry me, man. They're they're officially on, on worried watch. Up next, Anthony Richardson gets knocked out of a game for the third time this season, but the Colts beat the Titans 23-16. Yeah, I barely watched any of this game, to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with the listener when I barely, when I was kind of doing multiple games and one of these games didn't really get into multi-view for very long. Um, that was this. Richardson, I mean, I'm get, I, I get nervous every time he takes a hit now. Um, he left the game. We'll see what happened. I saw couple things about his shoulder, um, AC joint type of deal. We'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the number one thing. Minshew's been pretty good in relief. But, uh, by the way, like, please watch the games. Like, there were people who were like, media members who were like, I don't know how you take out Minshew. He's doing so well in relief. For the love of God, watch the games. Watch the floor that Anthony Richardson has on that offense, how much he raises it. Um, he is – the pre-draft take was he's he's one of the best athletes ever at the quarterback position or testing wise at the combine the best athlete like that shows up he's a very good rookie quarterback and, and I don't I don't think people really notice as much I want him healthy I want to watch him I don't there is no quarterback controversy in Indianapolis the Dolphins bounce back and the offense dominates again they beat the Giants 31-16. Weird game for stretches, but I don't think that's that's just going to happen. Um, two had a bad pick, a couple bad turnovers. Um, but listen, like Devin Achan, man, some of these numbers, like him and Mostert, their their touchdown numbers through through five games are the most since the '66 Cowboys. Dan Reeves and Bullet Bob Hayes, like that's what we're looking at now. Um, I don't. I just, they've got this endless supply of fast dudes 
And I just like the vision of Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel to say, like, let's find the fastest dudes on earth. And this is not some novel point. But when you see these sort of breakouts, you just start to understand. And it's funny because I was doing Dominique Foxworth's show earlier today. And they asked if we think that their ceiling has been raised or whatever. And it's like, well, the reason they're so good at running is because they're running into light boxes because of the passing. But the more you can run, the more you can problem solve. Because defenses are going to start to throw all sorts of wild looks at, at the Dolphins. And if you can just run it for eight yards, you're good. And so that's what I think it does more than anything, is just give you another tool in the problem-solving phase that comes for every elite team. The Dolphins have the most yards through the first five games of the season in NFL history. Up next, the Saints embarrass the – Oh, wait, wait, wait. One more thing. Daniel Jones left with a neck did. injury. Who could have seen that coming? He's getting hit on every single play. Yeah, he said it felt very similar to the injury he had in 2021. Also, more bad tape on Evan Neal today. Up next, the Saints embarrass the Patriots 34-0. All right, I'm going to do this midweek, too. How many teams would call Bill Belichick if he became available this year? Yeah, I don't think it's a lot. And what's funny, I think well, I think it's like six. I'll, I'll name the teams midweek. But it's funny because I put that on Twitter earlier today and had a couple people in the league reach out, actually. And say either more than they should more there are more teams who reach out than you would think or should should reasonably given recent performance and then half of them said not enough or they're like you know a bunch of teams should reach out blah 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 like it's bill belichick he's better than xyz it is so polarizing right now i think the cutoff is it's like when you do you, you like uh filter stats by week and it's like you can it's like uh the old line stats are like hostages you can get them to say whatever you want like if you do a 10-year sample size of bill belichick not a lot better probably to sandy reed right um although who knows after four three bad years it's probably getting lower but these last few years have been so head scratching that the only owners who would take the leap are ones obsessed with either stability for the sake of stability which we've talked about the pitfalls of that before, or just name value. So, like, Mark Davis would love it. And also, boy, here's one actual important thing. I remember somebody saying one time to me, very smart guy, said, bad owners love hiring big names because then they get to hand all the keys over to them and just say, you got this, and then they can just say, well, we hired so-and-so. Cleveland hired Mike Holmgren to be their team president. Mike Holmgren's best attributes were as a coach. But they said, hey, man, why don't you run this team? Reason being is ownership got to say, well, we hired Mike Holmgren. He was bad. So he didn't, you know, what are we going to do? We did it. We did all we could. Wayne Huizenga with Bill Parcells. Again, Bill Parcells' best attributes was as a coach. Wayne Huizenga hires Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells is not suited for that role. doesn't last very long. But – I'm not saying someone's going to do that with Belichick. What I'm saying is, is, like, even if Belichick wins three games this year, there's going to be bad owners who are saying, I need to hire Bill Belichick because I just want to 
not think about things. I want to turn the football czar role over to him and leave it be. There's so many other questions. Whether or not he would want personnel power. Um, whether or not he even wants to continue his career. Um, but there's just so many different fascinating parts of it um, that I think it's probably worth a much deeper discussion. But what I do know is that team Mark Davis with the Raiders, right? Even though Josh McDaniels would be fired for it, right? That's the type of team that would like to turn everything over to a guy like Bill Belichick. Wouldn't be people are throwing out the Spanos family to me with the Chargers. They're not paying that much money. They're not. Um, would Cleveland want another run with Bill Belichick? If if this season ends in a below average performance, there's a, there's a bunch of options here. Tampa, that'd be funny. Tom Brady goes down there because Belichick had moved on, and all of a sudden now Kraft wants to move on, and Belichick follows him down. Like that'd be great. That'd be funny. Um, but that's you know I don't think Carolina is going to make a move. But also like you can't let. You can't let Bill Belichick near a young quarterback. He's going to hire Matt Patricia to be the OC. Come on. Um, so it's a fascinating topic. I'll probably delve into it midweek. But hey, tweet at me. Tweet at me. If you, want, if you want Bill Belichick to be your coach, or don't, tweet at me. Tell me why. Why not? All right, Flynn, anything else? A couple more. AFC North, the first place Steelers over oh. the Ravens, 17-10. to 10. I didn't talk about this. Um, probably should have in the in the top AFC teams discussion. Um, this was a bad game from the Ravens. Like you cannot. Okay, Zay Flowers was the alpha of the receiving group. I thought they'd be better. He has an off game and everything falls apart. It felt like Lamar was trying to get Odell Beckham Jr. a touchdown. That's why he threw that bad interception. Catastrophic at all all levels. They put Marlon Humphrey one-on-one with George Pickens. You know what happens. Um, it's really hard to go one-on-one with with George Pickens, uh, with any receiver in the NFL, and George Pickens made him pay. Um, this is Steelers football. This is the Steelers-Ravens rivalry. It's just those guys rolling around in the mud. The Ravens should not have had this game be close. They should not have had this game be close a lot of mistakes. They're more. They should be more talented, especially at the quarterback position, especially at the OC position. This was bad, unforgivable. I, I still think the Ravens win that division, but I, I kind of, I, I, I'll say this: the Ravens are very lucky the Cowboys looked as bad as they did for for this show's purposes because I was disappointed. Let's end with the Jets. They win the Nathaniel Hackett revenge game, beating the Broncos 31-21. All right, I don't have much to say of this except a little much on the game ball stuff with Nate Hackett and naming him captain. A little much, guys. Also, it's not like they scored 40 points. Okay? I, 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 I've, I've seen enough. We, we didn't need to make this Nate Hackett week. Um, I'm not sure it even sends... Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and Nathaniel Hackett is like the greatest locker room leader in history in the history of, of offensive coordinators and everybody loved him. But like the CJ Uzama pregame pump up saying we're doing it for Nathan Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, the, the team captain, the game ball stuff. Like 
offensive coordinator and Sean Payton said something mean about him four months ago. I, I think everybody's going to survive, okay? Um, all right. Uh, that's it. We'll see you in midweek on Wednesday morning. We've got a current player and a former player joining us. Uh, don't know who's going to join us later in the week, but it'll be a great guest. We will see you on Wednesday. This has been football. Thank you to Miles and Michael Flynn. See you later.